On this episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, we discuss the latest news in the ASC industry, review the August 5th effective date of the expiration of the COVID-19 vaccination mandate, celebrate National ASC Month, and in our focus segment, we interview Therese Gopal Robinson about her presentation, Lost, Leading When the Destination is Unclear, during the New Jersey ASC Association's annual conference in April. Welcome to the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, the longest-running podcast specifically focused on the freestanding ambulatory surgery industry. We would like to thank our sponsors, Surgical Information Systems, providing cutting-edge information solutions for surgery providers, Trivalence. Trivalence offers a comprehensive next-generation ASC solution that optimizes payment and supply chain performance, enabling actionable data insights, and Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies the nation's leading regulatory and accreditation compliance resource for ambulatory surgery centers. For more information about our sponsors, please visit our website at ASCPodcast.com. Welcome to episode 195 of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey for August 2nd, 2023. Recording from our studios in Spencerport, New York, this is Sue Cronkite, Chief Researcher for the ASC Podcast with John Gailey and Operations Manager for Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies. We would like to remind our listeners that the ASC regulatory environment is a rapidly evolving landscape, and the material presented in this episode is based on the most current information available as of the date of recording. As such, it's important to recognize that this information may be subject to change, and we advise all ASCs to stay up to date with the latest regulations and guidelines issued by their relevant regulatory bodies. Joining me today is John Gailey, the owner of Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies and one of the most respected experts in the ambulatory surgery industry. With over 30 years of experience, Mr. Gailey has authored over 10 books on the ASC industry, and he is a sought-after speaker on regulatory accreditation and finance issues. You know, Sue, we're getting perilously close to that magic two, episode 200 mm-hmm. number. We haven't even thought about what we're going to do for that, but uh, yep. um, we'll, uh, it's, it's actually the timing is going to be pretty close to our retreat, so maybe we'll it be is. able to bring back some of our uh, friends from the past, uh, <laughs> you know, past uh, co-hosts before yep. you became the permanent co-host, and uh, <laughs> hopefully have a lot of fun. But, yeah, episode yeah. 195. And uh, we are getting ready for the first ever ASC Business Office Manager Boot Camp, which kicks off next week. That's going to be August 8th. It begins. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody's ever done this before, and we're very excited about it. we got a nice uh, a lineup, and, uh, of course, it's a partnership with Coding Compliance Management and Christina Benton, my dear friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're looking forward to that, and that will it'll complete the leadership cadre for yep. uh, for ambulatory surgery centers with our administrator boot camp, director of nursing boot camp, and now the business office manager boot mm-hmm. camp. So if you haven't signed up for it yet, make sure you head over to ASCPodcast.com and sign up before it's too late. And this is National ASC Month. The month of August is National ASC Month every year. Uh, and the ASC Association, or ASCA, encourages you to uh, to make a big deal about it in your organization. 
you know, make sure that you, uh, if you are using social media like Facebook or LinkedIn, mm-hmm. that you uh, put some information about your ambulatory surgery center on uh, your uh, social media websites and uh, talk about what makes ambulatory surgery centers uh, so good and, and, and why we are the place that you want to have your ambulatory surgery done. Mm-hmm. And if you are a member of ASCA, you can get some resources there from um, an infographic about what is an ASC and, and some other information that can help people understand, because as we know, a lot of people don't really even understand exactly what an ASC is. And and the more that you can get that knowledge out there, the better it is for everybody. Yeah, and, and to that point, you know, I still remember, you know, I've I've, I've been doing, um, uh, you know, visits to Capitol Hill, both mm-hmm, in Albany mm-hmm. and in, in New York State, as well as in Washington D.C. from a national standpoint. Um, and I, I can remember some. Uh, people over the years, you know, in these congressional offices saying, now, what does this mean? You do amb- you do surgery in an ambulance? You know, I, it's mm-hmm. more than once that I've heard that comment. Yeah. So uh, yeah. definitely don't assume that everybody knows what we are and who and what we do. Um, and <clears throat> ASCA is really encouraging you to support uh, some legislation called the Outpatient Surgery Quality and Access Act of 2023. Uh, and again, uh, ASCA has a template letter uh, that you can use if you're a member of ASCA. And, you know, do reach out to your lawmakers and ask them to sign on to that bill as a co-sponsor. And also set up facility tours with your uh, members of Congress, your your local representatives, et cetera. That's a, it's a good way to get them out. Mm-hmm. Uh, they always like publicity. They always like to be in the news. And that's yeah. a good way for you to get in the news also. And I think, as we always say, probably the best way to support um, ASCs is to become a member of ASCA and or your um, state Associations, yeah, absolutely, and many of the state associations are also celebrating ASC Month uh, in their own states. You know, like New York, mm-hmm. they uh, passed a resolution that made it ASC Month in New York State, also. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so definitely make a big deal about this. This is uh, uh, something that we do every year, and it's a good way to get the message out. So, let's move on to our uh, recent news. The biggest news. Uh, since we last spoke to you all, is the uh, quality safety oversight uh, uh, 23-02-all. For some reason, it's got the words expired after it. Um, Kind of an odd name for the QSO, but anyway, that finally came out. We've been talking about it for the last uh, couple months. But basically what this QSO does is it finalizes the end of the COVID-19 vaccination requirements. You might remember that uh, CMS did indicate that they were not going to enforce uh, the vaccination requirement, but now it is officially ended effective August 5th, which is my birthday. So I'll remember Mm -hmm. that that particular (laughs) date. And as I indicated, it hasn't been enforced by surveyors, uh, but this officially does remove it from the conditions for coverage. And I will uh, provide a link to the official QSO for those of you that are interested in reading that. And Sue, there was a great article in Anesthesiology News. I've, I've never – it's not one of those news sources that we generally use, mm-hmm. but I, this one really caught my eye. Uh, at the 2022 meeting of the American Society of Anesthesiologists, the ASA, Bobby Jean Schweitzer, uh, who is a professor of medical education at the University of Virginia in Charlottesville, discuss the questions that she uses to discern between ambulatory surgery appropriate patients and those who may be, who may be better cared for in a hospital. Uh, and she went on in this meeting to, to state, traditionally ambulatory surgery was reserved for healthy people undergoing low-risk procedures, but now we're doing total joint replacements, major spine surgeries, and cardiac interventions, and the patients are older and sicker than ever. Plus, we're extremely busy because so many procedures were delayed due to COVID-19. 
And she came up with 10 questions that are easy to ask, easy to answer, and reveal the information a clinician needs to determine whether the patient is right for ambulatory surgery. So I'm going to provide a link to the uh, this article. I really encourage you to read the article and pass it on to your anesthesiologist, director of uh, anesthesia services, mm-hmm. uh, and your medical director. This is, a, I think, a good starting point for developing you know, protocols for determining who is appropriate candidates. So I thought uh, Sue and I would just go through the uh, the 10 questions. Actually, there's 10, 10 questions and a bonus question. So uh, <laughs> we'll just be- uh, briefly mention each of the first ones. Have you or a family member had a significant problem with anesthesia? And of course, the main reason they're checking into this is to determine whether you might have malignant hypothermia or any other problems with tolerating anesthesia. And of course, what medications do you take? You have to always check into that. Yeah, make sure that there isn't something mm-hmm. that might be contra, uh, contraindicated for the surgery uh, medication that you'll mm-hmm. receive. Uh, have you been hospitalized in the last 30 days? I think that's a very good question. Yeah. You know, we've, we found this uh, frequently, unfortunately, where people have come to the surgery center and then during the pre-hop uh, intake, they find out that the patient was just, just discharged from the hospital mm-hmm. within the last 30 days. And that usually means that they're still recovering some, from something and perhaps they're not a good candidate right now for outpatient surgery. Do you need help eating, bathing, or getting dressed? This can kind of point to um, just their overall health and their frailty, you know, how, how well they're going to be able to recover. Right. And have you had a myocardial infarction in the last 60 days? I think that's kind of obvious. And have you undergone cardiac catheterization or received a coronary stent within the last six months? Again, Kind of obvious with all those (laughs) coronary issues, Mm -hmm. yes. Can you walk four blocks briskly or up two flights of stairs without shortness of breath? Sue, I'm not sure that I'm an appropriate candidate for surgery here with that one, but but that, of course, is trying to determine, you know, how – Fit you are, and if indeed you uh, you might have some uh, some issues that need to be taken care of before you you come for outpatient surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, and have you had a stroke in the last three months? Again, kind of obvious. Are you on di- dialysis? I think it's fair to say that patients that are on dialysis really need to have surgery in the, in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And what other medical problems do you have? And again, these open-ended questions can mm-hmm. pave the way for patients to discuss the medical issues that are most important to them. And then there's this extra credit question for cataract <laughs> patients. Can you get to the clinic and lie flat for 45 minutes? That's that's an important question mm-hmm. uh, for cataract patients because, uh, again, uh, I, fortunately, I have not had cataract surgery um, mm-hmm. yet, um, but the whole concept of me doing this uh, is difficult. I, I'm not sure how I'll answer that. It's not for health reasons. I, I'm just too itchy all the time anyway. I'm constantly moving. So, <laughs> But I thought those that, you know, this was a good article. I really encourage you to read it, pass it on to the appropriate people in your organization, and, and just, uh, you know, contemplate this as you're putting together, you know, some very basic questions mm-hmm. regarding whether this is an appropriate candidate for surgery in the surgery center. And a woman in New Jersey was arrested on Wednesday and charged with practicing medicine without a license. Um, forgery, distribution of controlled substances, and health care claims fraud. She was treating patients and writing prescriptions for over a year using the name of a relative who has an active medical license. Now, they didn't mention if that relative was then in trouble, but they did say the place she was practicing out of was, you know, closed down then. So, But it's just, it seems like we hear a lot of these stories lately. So. Yeah. And I saw several articles in Fox News about AI and healthcare. It's not specific to um, ambulatory surgery, but 
I don't. I just found it very, really interesting, especially so, with all the focus right now on mm-hmm. artificial intelligence. Yes. Yeah, and we've talked about it on here a few times. Um, so from August third, um, they talked about AI-powered ultrasounds that have just been approved by the FDA. They're able to detect potential prenatal syndromes and anomalies in 70,000 ultrasound images with a 95% accuracy rate. They noted that an average second trimester exam includes more than 80 images and half of all fetal anomalies are currently being missed. So that's a huge improvement. And when you think of just the time saving of going over all these images, of course, it's just humanly impossible to not make mistakes. So you know, that could be actually a really helpful thing. And in another article from Fox News on June 6, AI was able to analyze electrical activity in the uterus and as early as the 31st week of pregnancy and predict preterm birth up to the 37th week. Um, not only is this useful information for that specific pregnancy and planning that care and maybe trying to get, you know, so they can give steroids to improve the lungs and that kind of thing if they know the baby's going to be born early. But that information um, can lead to better information on what factors contribute to preterm birth because they really weren't always sure like what causes it. It just, oh, you know, they came early. And now AI is identifying something that's going on where they're able to identify it where we haven't been able to as much before. And some fertility clinics have tried using AI for embryo selection and have seen a 30% increase in IVF success rates. Of course, clinicians, can they still have to make the final decision um, but they'll be able to make those decisions faster and have more accurate information to base their decisions on. And, of course, this is, like I said, just one area of healthcare. It just happened to be the, the road I went down. But it's so interesting to us that, you know, it can be so helpful, but we also have to be really careful and make sure we stay on top of the ethical issues um, that could come up with it. And thinking about, and John and I have talked about this, you know, the types of jobs and skills that are going to be more in demand in the future, and the ones that are going to be less in demand is we're kind of working, partnering almost with this AI thing. And that kind of got me thinking about the biases um, that I saw mentioned a lot. And I thought, well, how could, you know, it's just a robot type thing. But so I looked in uh, at UNESCO um, from April 21st. That's the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization. And they just gave some good examples. I'll just briefly just to get you thinking. Um, so if you you know you think about when you're searching on your computer, that's basically a form of AI. So if you type in the greatest leaders of all time, um, you're probably going to see a list of a lot of male personalities. You know you don't see a lot of women pop up in an image for a schoolgirl. You'll often see things that are a little inappropriate. You know because mm-hmm. that's just kind of the culture, even and that's gotten as far as getting into Google or whatever. Um, if you type in schoolboy, you're probably just going to see ordinary young schoolboys. Self-driving cars, when you think about the moral decisions that are made by everyone daily, when a driver chooses like to slam on the brakes to avoid hitting somebody walking in the street, you're making that decision to shift the risk to the people in the car, but away from the pedestrian. What if you're driving, you know, the, the car, a self-driving car is going down the road, um, it can't stop, and there's, you know, a grandmother and a child there, and you can turn that wheel, but how are the, how is that going to make that decision, you know, of which one you're going to possibly hurt. So there's just so many, I think, parts to this. And, and you know, so we we have to remember that we're kind of partnering and using them as a tool, and, and you've got to be really careful, I guess, on however they design them, and I don't know enough about it, but 
that we're not putting our own biases in, so that just carries on, and we're not even aware of how we're getting that information and the decision-making, if you can call it that, of this AI. Yeah, and, <laughs> and, and I think I might have mentioned this. I can't remember if it was on the podcast or during one of the boot camps, but I've seen e- – um, I saw AI being used in uh, the GI, at GI Center mm-hmm. that was using it to view in real time the images that were being transmitted from uh, the camera, you know, from mm-hmm. the kaleidoscope or the uh, endoscope. Um, and uh, the images were being compared in real time to a huge database. Um, yeah. And it was just fascinating to me. And, and any suspected polyps were actually circled in, in in green, I think, on the screen. Yeah. And I'm thinking, and, and they indicated that's, a, that's in real time it's being compared. And, of course, new uh, items that this doctor was evaluating were being sent to the database to you know to continue to build the database, mm-hmm. and it's got to be so much more accurate, yeah. you know. And of course, so you have to the doctor has to use their decision making on who should be screened, and do we look more carefully at a certain um, you know ethnicity that maybe has higher risk or mm-hmm. certain gender that has higher risk? So there's still parts for that, but boy, AI is gonna. It- take over a lot, I think. I think so, too. I had a lot of jobs, really, uh, yeah. or at least reducing the need for certain jobs mm-hmm. uh, out there. So uh, keep yeah. an eye out. And, and it's evolving so quickly. If you look at the beginning of the year, there was very little discussion about AI, mm-hmm. and yet you can't pick up a newspaper today without having newspaper. Yeah. What's a newspaper? Uh, <laughs> you, know, you can't pick up uh, uh, yeah. your cell phone and look at an article on uh on the See, news yeah. there that doesn't uh, include at least mm-hmm. one article about AI. So I think it's uh, something we have to consider. And, and as your children are figuring out careers or grandchildren are figuring out careers, make sure you're stirring them in the direction of something that will still be here afterwards. Mm-hmm. And nursingprocess.org um, published rankings of happiest and unhappiest. It's kind of weird phrasing. But yeah. <laughs> happiest and unhappiest nursing jobs for 2023. They looked at several factors, including flexibility, stress level, salary, appreciation, um, and coworkers, and of course, work-life balance. All of those surprised me. School nurse topped the list of unhappiest nurse jobs, and it did say though it, it used to be a, a job that people enjoyed more. But during the pandemic, it really increased their workload and added stress. They were the people calling, you know, contact tracing and having to, you know, call and tell people when others were sick, maybe having to close the school. So, yeah. um, you know, that, that made it a very stressful job. So that was at the top. Hospital staff nurse and emergency room nurse were the next highest on that unhappy list. Sounds like a good place to start recruiting uh, possible nurses, well, yes. given the next item. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and the happiest nursing job um, was outpatient case management, with 92.5% of case managers saying they were happy with their jobs. And I did notice a lot of the happier nursing jobs were not so much hands-on patient care, which yeah. kind of surprised me. Yeah. Um, office nurse and NICU nurse were the next on that list. So the NICU nurses, they're right in there, but it just must be something in about working with the babies and really making a difference and, you know, that kind of thing. And then ambulatory surgery nurse was 14th on the list of happiest nursing jobs. So that's pretty so good. kudos, yes. And they did um, the that quote That sounds like another thing to that. put into your yes. uh, your uh, <laughs> social media feeds. <laughs> for, the, for the month of August. So what makes this a happy job is one of the happiest nursing jobs. Ambulatory surgery positions offer top pay and daytime hours with weekends and holidays off. A nurse colleague of mine has said, 
had this to say about her job as an ambulatory surgery nurse. I love my job in a same-day surgery center where I can assist with a wide variety of surgical procedures. The job is typically low stress, and I find the work very interesting. Now, I will say, sometimes there probably are weekends. Yeah. And... Those are um, these these are changing as the industry is changing. Yeah. We we even have centers that are are working on Sundays now. So I think yeah. that's that unfortunately might might start to make uh, you know to I mean inevitably we because we're competing with hospitals mm-hmm. and we're having to you know expand the hours. Yeah. Um, I think unfortunately some of those advantages are going to start disappearing. Hopefully not all of them. Yeah, and they did say somewhere else in this article they had mentioned that the pay for. A hospital nurse was pretty similar to that of an ASC nurse, but I'm not yeah. sure that's always true because it can be difficult. I think there's the other benefits that outweigh it, but, you know. I think that depends upon the, the, the area of the country you're in, mm-hmm. too, mm-hmm. as to whether the, uh, the the two positions are, are comparable. Yeah, but it's a good point, too, about um, a diff- having more variety. It depends if you're in a GI center, you're doing GI things, but if you're a multi-specialty, you probably do get to really see you know, different um, procedures more so than you would working in, in a hospital and always, you know, just being in that exact yeah, slot. because a lot more specialization mm-hmm, in, in mm-hmm. the average hospital. Yeah. So during the New Jersey Association meeting, I think it was in April, I had an opportunity to interview Therese Gopal Robinson. She's a nationally known um, consultant and uh, uh, speaker. Uh, and she, the title of her presentation at the New Jersey Association was Lost, Leading When the Destination is Unclear. And I had an opportunity to interview her for the podcast. I think it was about a 15, 20-minute interview. And I thought it might be a good thing to, uh, to throw in here uh, as a, in our focus segment. Uh, we continue to talk about leadership, not only individual leadership, but also leadership in terms of the, uh, the ASC industry uh, nationally. And I, I think this uh, interview was, uh, was a good – and I think this was a, and I think Therese had a, some really good uh, observations about leadership. So let's uh, take a short break, and when we come back, we'll interview Therese Gopal Robinson. As a leader in the ambulatory surgery industry, you already know that the ASC podcast with John Gailey is your ultimate free resource for staying updated with the latest news and information while ensuring your organization maintains regulatory and accreditation compliance. But did you know that we have two membership programs on our partner website, ASC Central, that can take your organization to the next level? For just $25 a month, our patron program will unlock a host of amazing benefits. Enjoy regular Zoom meetings with our hosts and special guests, access to recorded conferences like our credentialing seminar, conditions for coverage conference, medical director conference, and our most recent two-day multi-state conference. The patron program also offers a comprehensive database of policies, forms, drills, example minutes, and other invaluable resources to optimize your center's operations. For those centers that want even more, our new ASC Central Premium Access Plan offers a variety of online services to its members. The benefits include access to a wide range of services, including all of the benefits of the patron program, unlimited access to our popular boot camps, the ASC industry's most comprehensive training for ASC leadership. Members can attend any number of the ASC Administrator Boot Camps and ASC Director of Nursing Boot Camps and can listen to the recordings throughout their membership. 
It also includes unlimited access to the industry's most comprehensive infection control training designed for infection control coordinators and those that wish to take the Certified Ambulatory Surgery Center Infection Preventionist Exam. And the program also includes up to five hours of private consultations by Zoom. For more information about these two programs, visit our website at ASCPodcast.com or click on the links in the show notes. So this is John Gailey. I'm here at the New Jersey Annual Conference at the Palace of Somerset in it's April of uh, 2023. And I'm here with the keynote speaker for this year's conference, Therese Gopal uh, Robinson. It's great to meet you. I've, I've never met you. And I unfortunately, I only heard yeah. the very tail end of your, your session. <laughs> but you and I talked a little bit beforehand about what you, uh, what you spoke about. So the title of your session was uh, Lost, Leading When the Destination is Unclear. Yes. I don't know why you picked that title. Why would you think that there might people might be lost in healthcare right now? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's right? sarcasm, yeah, by yeah, the way. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I figured as much. <laughs> so uh, you, you, you got a, a standing ovation. So obviously, you hit the marks there. So I really appreciate that. So uh, first of all, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So um, again, my name is Therese and I'm a consultant and a keynote speaker. And so I work in healthcare specifically and I, and I work with hospitals, healthcare staffing organizations, and I focus on process improvement, accreditation and change management. Mm -hmm. And within the last year, really what has happened as a result of that is I've, I've, I've really kind of started going into leadership development mm -hmm. and mentoring because, you know, I will go ahead and say it almost 100% of the time, if you have an issue with process, yeah. you can always tie it back to leadership in some way or another. And and really, I'm realizing more and more that leaders in healthcare just really need so much support and mm -hmm. development. And so that's really the, the services that I offer to healthcare organizations on a whole and, and associations as well. Well, and the ASC industry has gone through so much dramatic change in the last yeah. three years in particular, uh, yeah. not just from COVID. It really isn't. I mean, we, we could blame COVID for everything in our lives right sure. now. Yeah. Um, but I think as we're finding uh, nurses getting, uh, you know, nursing as a profession, a lot of people are retiring now. Uh, we're finding people moving into leadership that don't have even management experience, let yes. alone leadership experience. And I'm sure that's what you're experiencing. So, uh, but you run the gamut, but talk a little bit about leadership leadership development and, you know, the, um, you know, how do you take somebody from the yeah. ground, you know, maybe yeah. doesn't even have uh, experience in leadership who's been suddenly appointed, which happens right. in, oh, yeah. in ASCs all, all the time. It's everywhere. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's, it's funny you say that because that's one thing that I identify consistently um, in really any kind of organization is if you're really great as an individual contributor, mm -hmm. then you know, you tend to be promoted, right? Because right. you're you're excelling in all areas and then you're promoted. But what we what we forget a lot of times is the skills that make you a fantastic individual contributor yeah. don't necessarily align with being a fantastic leader, especially right. if if you're not getting the development and I say nourishment that you need because for example, if you're a recruiter, right, there's a certain skill set. Mm -hmm. that makes you a fantastic recruiter. But if you try to apply those same skills to leading teams and people, yeah. it's just not going to work. Right, and right. so that's one thing that I really, really try to coach organizations into realizing that number one, 
have you asked, do you want this? Do, do you want this position? Yeah. Right. What is motivating you? Because if it's just the money, then maybe we can find other ways to incentivize you in your current role financially. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that you need to get into leadership. So the first thing is ask, do you want leadership and why right. do you want to, you want leadership because you want to be the boss? Or do you want leadership because you believe in what's happening and you believe in the people and you want to see people grow? I used to say all the time as a leader, my biggest sign of being a successful leader was when my people grew and left me. Mm-hmm. Right. Because that meant that I poured enough into them that they were able to flourish and grow and do amazing things. And so and sometimes it's not going to be in the same organization. Exactly. And absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. And so, you know, when you when you take someone that may have potential, you believe they do first ask, is this mm-hmm. what you want? And if they say yes, then ask why? because they're obviously always going to say yes. So ask the why. And then from there, if, if you really feel like this person's a good fit, that's when the education begins and the mentoring begins. And it's not just about, you know, being a leader, you have to do A, B, C, D, and E. You know, you have to get a little bit deeper than that because there, there are so many soft skills mm-hmm. in leadership that can really, you know, help you become successful. And a big part of what I do with people is, you know, what are your own hangups? Mm-hmm. Because if you're struggling with certain things as a human, then you're going to struggle as a leader. Yeah. So what are some of the hangups that you have? Because if you, for example, you know, if you struggle with something like imposter syndrome, then there's a really good chance that you're going to be intimidated by team members who have great ideas. Mm-hmm. Right. Because you feel like you don't belong and you don't deserve to be here. And so really, when you identify someone, it's really about nourishing them and and really pouring into them. And leadership development is so huge. And time and time again, when organizations take the time and spend the the money to to create robust development programs for their emerging leaders and their current leaders, then. I mean, everything just falls into place. Quality, mm-hmm. you know, everything, everything just kind of clicks just like that if you yeah. if you invest that time. Well, and you bring up a very important point is that um, every leader is going to need some nourishment. I love your term nourishment. Yes. Um, we talked before we started because, uh, you know, our <laughs> podcast is famous for our boot camps. You know, we have yeah. the boot camps yeah. for director of nursing, administrator, and business office manager. Yeah. And 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 we, we push anybody that is in one of our centers uh, to go through that training. Yeah. Even if they've been doing it 20 years, oh, even yeah. if they've been administrated for 20 years, because we want to know that, you know, they have those skills, they develop those skills yep. necessary to, to leadership. So uh, talk about that. You know, are, are, you know what, I mean, I, I do believe that some people are just born to be a leader, for sure. That, but that doesn't mean that, you know, they you just let them go. Right, right, right. Talent and skill, there are two different things, yeah. right? So you might have the, it might be within you, but you need to develop that and again, mm-hmm. nourish that to, to be, to really take full advantage <laughs> of whatever your gift is. And so, you know, when I think about leadership too, you know, honestly, when I was a leader, I used to always say, I'm a servant leader. Mm-hmm. And that was because, well, it yeah. just it sounded so great to say, and that was like the buzz term yeah. and I'm serving people, I'm here to support you and all that. But you know, through the years and just also investing in my own education in leadership development, the, the thing that I try to push is become the leader that most aligns with your spirit, your personality, and the things that you're comfortable with, mm-hmm. in addition to the fact that one size does not fit all. So I cannot say that I'm a servant leader yeah. because I work with many different types of people. They're motivated differently. They have different personalities. They work differently. And so I believe in flexible leadership. So it's almost like you have the base, you have the skills, you learn that, you develop those things, but then you have to almost bend and mold 
to who you're serving or who you're dealing with at that time. Because if I'm talking to John as John's leader mm -hmm. and John is motivated by, you know, excelling in numbers. So my approach with John will be different than say, if I'm speaking to Timothy, who is all about, you know, connection and purpose and why we're here. And so the types of conversations and the way that I would try to motivate John mm -hmm. and Timothy would be different. And so it's very important that as leaders, we understand, yes, there's the base, there's right. the basic stuff for sure, but you have to be able to be flexible in leadership and realize that to your point, you are here serving others. That's true, but you have to make sure that you're serving them what they need. Yeah. You, you bring up one of, we, before we, we uh, started recording <laughs> at my, uh, I had mentioned that one of my ongoing things uh, has always been that if you're getting into leadership because you think people are going to report to you, yeah. you got things backwards. Yeah. You're reporting to them. Oh, you yeah. know, my, I, I uh, you know, management by walking around, you know, I have a, you, I think you're an MPH, right? Yes. Yeah, and I'm mm -hmm. an MBA. So mm -hmm. MBA, it's all about management by walking around, MBWA. Yep. <laughs> you know, you walk around, you talk to your staff. Yeah. And, and, and I, I learned early early in my leadership that that management by walking around that talking to people meant that it gave them an opportunity. The question that we should be asking is, are you doing what I, it's not should be, are you doing what I told you to do? It should mm -hmm. be, what can I provide you that you don't have that you need in order to carry out your yep, job? Exactly. You know, I, and I always use this analogy with leadership. I, I look at leadership as, okay, you're in the front of the line and there's this like, you know, forest in front of you. Yeah. And as a leader, your role is to pave the way. Mm -hmm. So as you're moving forward, you're paving the way, you're cutting down vines, you're, mm. you know, you're pouring cement, you're, yeah. you know, you're doing all these different things. Yeah, luxury. Uh, right. You're making it because you're doing that so that the team that's behind you, they have an easier journey. Yeah. Right. So you're going through all the tough things. You are there to create an environment that will promote success and also um, individuality amongst mm -hmm. your team. And again, it goes back to the fact that everybody is different, right? Yeah. But we always still have this base as a leader. And so as a leader, that's what you're doing. You're paving the way and you're cutting out all the debris and you're cleaning things up and, mm -hmm. and all of that in order for your team to come, all, come along behind you and have a smoother ride and be successful and not have to pull the weeds and do all the things that you've already done. I want to go back to something you talked about earlier. And that is, um, again, because of in many ways, we've been in crisis mode for three years. Yeah. And in some cases, uh, people have been promoted. You know, the nurse manager leaves, the administrator leaves, and, you know, uh, CMS requires you to have a nurse manager at all times. So, you know, you either shut the door until you find a new nurse manager or um, you you find somebody within the staff. Yeah. Um, and it brings to mind, you know, the, the difference between an interim leader and mm -hmm. the permanent leader mm -hmm. and identifying somebody in your staff. As you said, sometimes you, you know, people are not made to be a manager and they're not made to be a leader. Yeah. So let's talk for a second about the difference between management and leadership, or even at three levels, uh, you know, mm -hmm. our, our worker bees, you know, the people that actually do all the real work out there, yeah. the managers and the leaders. And because I'm not sure that people truly understand the differences between those three different levels. Yeah. So I think, you know, managers, you're managing process, you're managing yeah. things, you're manage, you know, you're managing just kind of how are we getting from A to B to C. Like like in a surgery center would we'll be managing right. the schedule, making exactly. sure people making are Making everybody's ones. on time yeah. and uh, mm -hmm. everything's on schedule. Exactly. Whereas leading is a whole different thing. It is thing. completely different. I mean, you know, I, I have worked with managers and mm -hmm. I've worked with leaders and the key difference between the two of them 
would be that the leaders, I would follow them anywhere yeah, into so anything, <laughs> yeah, into the darkness because I trusted them because, you know, leadership is, that's a huge component of mm-hmm. leadership is building trust amongst your team. They trust each other. They trust themselves, right? but then they trust you. And so they know that, you know, okay, things are tough right now and it's tough everywhere. And gosh, we just went through so much, but the, the, the leaders that got it right were the folks that were able to keep their people engaged because mm-hmm. of that, you know, really working so hard to build trust amongst each other so that they could lead them really into anything and they were trusted. Yeah. So that to me is a key difference between say managing where you're just about the, the, you know, nuts and bolts of the things. Whereas leading it's, it's really about trust, but it's also the, you know, I love as a leader when I see people that trust themselves. Yeah. I love it. I love to see when people, all of a sudden, the people that I've been mentoring as a leader, and that's the thing, that's part of leadership too. It's mentoring and it's really pouring into people. And I love seeing where they finally get it Mm -hmm. and they build this confidence within themselves and they trust themselves. And, you know, as a leader, you just have so much responsibility to these people and you have to really respect that, respect that responsibility that you have, because it is something that, um, you know, it's just so important and it really set, mm-hmm. kind of sets the tone for everything around you, good or bad. Well, let's lean into that whole issue of t- of mentoring, which is yes. one of my, I, no, I can tell already, it's one of your favorite topics, yes. one of my favorite oh, topics. Yeah. Because again, uh, you know, people are being pushed into these positions necessarily. I mean, it's not, it's not like we're doing anything wrong. It's what we're doing out of necessity to yeah. survive. Mm-hmm. So they're being pushed into leadership positions in ASCs. It's all in healthcare, throughout it's, healthcare. Yeah. But, but uh, let's just, <laughs> obviously we're talking about ASCs here. Um, and, you know, what tool, kind of tools can they have? And that was a lot of, of your speech, I know, uh, is the tool. So let's, let's, let's uh, go into that mentoring tool. You know, many places, many people will go into leadership with almost no support, which means that they have to ask for it. Yep. Um, so how, uh, what, what type of suggestion? Of course, we're, we're both consultants and, yeah. you know, we do this type of thing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's not, and that, that would be my recommendation. The money is well spent. Um, but there's other tools you can do. Right. So, you know, if you're new to leadership, maybe you were thrust into it for whatever reason, you know, I always, it's about ownership. At the mm-hmm. end of the day, it, it rests on your shoulders, right? Because it was a choice that you made. So yes, maybe you were put into that role because of the fact that, you know, we needed a nurse manager or whatever, but at the end of the day, you made the decision, you made the choice. And so you have to accept ownership. And so, yes, there are organizations and I will always be an advocate for spending the funds to invest in a good leadership development Mm -hmm. um, program. But the reality is a lot of organizations can't, won't, whatever they, they don't, right. don't recognize the value that. of it or they, some, right, and exactly. let's face it, sometimes they just don't have the money. They don't have the yeah, money. Exactly. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you made the choice. Yeah. And so you have to accept ownership. And so like with every other thing in your life, you accept the ownership and you develop and you, you invest in some of those tools. And right now online, oh my gosh, you Google leadership principles, leadership types, you know, how do I have a difficult conversation? I mean, you name it, it's out there. And so, you know, I think first off, it it just really goes with, uh, you have to first determine the type of leader that you want to be. And so Mm -hmm. that comes from within, right? So am I, am I more of an introvert or am I more of an extrovert? Am I good with difficult conversations or am I, you know, and you start to develop your skills in that way by investing in yourself. There, There are a lot of tools online 
there, I mean, there's so many, you know, management uh, books out there. One yeah. of my favorites is, I think it's called, you know, the, the first 90 days. Mm-hmm. I love that book. And I always recommend that one because it really, it's kind of like a, just a guide, a step-by-step guide of the things that, you know, what are you trying to accomplish as a new leader in the first 30 days, the first 60, and then the first 90 days. And so, but the bottom line is, you made the choice to accept this leadership position. And so you have to own, you have to take mm-hmm. ownership of that choice and invest in it the way that you would invest in anything else, your home, your mm-hmm. exercise routine, your family, your spouse, whatever, take this seriously. And I, and I always go back to respect that you're in leadership. Mm-hmm. I didn't say respect me because I'm in leadership. I said, right. respect that you are in leadership because that's a big deal. Yeah. And so you have to respect it, own it and invest in yourself. I think when people get into leadership positions, first of all, they don't always advocate for themselves Uh, or, you know, to your point, they don't always recognize that they need that, you know, those skills there. Um, And so I'm I'm talking to two audiences right now. The people that are listening that are uh, owners of surgery centers, uh, you just spent a ton of money recruiting somebody, perhaps bringing them in. You've got a heavy investment if you were to lose them quickly because they're not satisfied or they just feel they can't do it, it's gonna cost you a lot of money. And if you have to shut down until you find somebody, that's Mm -hmm. gonna cost you even more money. Spend the time, spend the money, find the resources to, to, uh, to dedicate to that. And, and they need it. They, uh, it's not something, it's not something that you just say, well, they've been doing this for 30 years. They're going to need this skill uh, now, especially if they're in a new, location if they're yeah. in a new specialty area. And then speaking to the actual people that have moved into it, advocate mm-hmm. for yourselves, get out there and and and, uh, and tell your, your ownership that you need this resource, that the, it'll yeah. be money well spent. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, when I was in one organization that I worked, um, I was a new leader mm-hmm. and I came in and now I had been a leader for a while and, you know, I had some of the development things, but, you know, we were hire- hiring at such a rapid pace yeah. and we were hiring leaders. And what I quickly realized was these people are struggling, right? Yeah. They're, they're very lost. They, you know, the number one as a leader, you're just trying to learn the job. Right. And then now there's this whole other component of, oh, wait, I have to lead people and, right. and have sensitive <laughs> conversations. And this one's over here crying and I don't, you know, yeah, all this other stuff. And so, you know, to those folks who hire leaders and if you don't have some sort of a, you know, leadership program, that doesn't mean you can't start creating something on your own. That's mm-hmm. what I did. I, right. I started creating something on my own. I didn't make this huge, big program or whatever, but I did start to think about, okay, what are the fundamentals? What are the things, mm-hmm. A, what are our goals in our department? Yeah. B, how do, what, are, what do we need to do to get there? And then C, well, how do we get people there? Right. And that was what helped build my kind of leadership development program. And you know, again, was I the expert? No, not even a little bit. Did I have to continuously change and tweak to, you know, to really align with the organizational needs? Absolutely. But it was a starting point and it made people, I am telling you, when a leader comes into an organization and the organization is ready for them, ready for them, it just sets the tone. It really does. And so even if it's something like, you're like, oh my God, this is awful you have something to give a brand new leader coming in because you're telling them what you're saying, you're sending the signal. Mm -hmm. And the signal is 
we've needed you for so long. We're yeah. happy that you're here. You belong here and we appreciate you and we will invest in you. And so when you show a brand new leader that you're ready for them, even yeah. if it's a little tiny PowerPoint presentation, that's 20 slides, it's a starting point. And what you're going to do is you're now going to have a partner, Yeah. you know, and you're going to have a person who's engaged from the very beginning and they're going to want you to be successful and, and they're going to want your organization to be successful and invest in your organization as well. And to your point about mentoring and developing your own systems. So of course we're at the New Jersey association meeting, Yeah, the state associations throughout the country, uh, are, are probably should be one of your primary places to look because yeah. you're meeting people that are near you. Uh, you go to these conferences, you might be, you know, you might be somebody new to the leadership position, but probably sitting around the table with you is five other people who, um, in some way might be able to provide a mentorship. Maybe it'll be formal. Maybe yep. it'll be just, Hey, do you want to go out for lunch? Um, you know, do you want to yep. pop over to the surgery center and we'll talk through things or you just talk on the phone every you know month for for a while um, yeah. that's the type of thing that the state associations can really do to benefit um, yeah. your career track and again if I'm talking to the governing the governing body and the, the yeah. owners pay for that membership it'll pay you back in in in, uh, in an incredible way yeah but to your point though you have to have some ownership oh yes as well right yes, into your into your own development yeah. get and, out and, there yeah. and it requires a certain level of vulnerability mm -hmm. that many people are afraid to show right yeah. you know i'm afraid to go to john and say john you know would you would you would you be my mentor? Yeah. I just, I really need Especially some support. Especially those introverts. Right. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. And that requires, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever heard of that term, but managerial courage, mm -hmm. right? And so it's the courage to speak up and, and say things like, John, will, will you be my mentor? Yeah. Or I don't know this, or can you help me? Or can you give yeah. me feedback because I'm not quite sure if I'm getting this right. Yeah. It requires a certain level of vulnerability, but it is so essential because, you know, if you're going to be doing it anyways, <laughs> right. Right. And you made the choice. Again, I go back to leadership as a choice. Yeah. No one, no one forced you into it as much as maybe that's the story we're telling ourselves. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you made that decision and you made that you choice accepted it. Yeah. and you yeah. accepted yeah. it. So own it and, and own your, your learning and own your experience as a leader and be vulnerable enough to ask for support. Right. Yeah. I, now, you also talked in your, your session about uh, what types of things leaders should be doing when they're communicating, when they're walking around, when they're doing the, I'm going to use my term, management by walking around, uh -huh. uh, asking questions, making sure that uh, you're, you, you know, you're, you're listening mm -hmm. to your staff. <laughs> mm -hmm. Listening skills are, 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 are got to be top of the list of skills that you need as a leader. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> I'm guilty of it. I know I was I guilty too. of it. You I know. love talking. It's oh, a problem. Oh yeah, I talk. I yeah, I love to hear myself talk. I talk more than I listen a lot of times, but that's yeah. something that I, I I'm working on. But you recognize it, yeah. right? But even as a leader, you know, a lot of times we're doing the walk around and we're asking the questions, but we um, we're not really listening for the answers. We're just yeah. doing it because it's just you know, I'm here, I'm on the floor and I'm walking and I'm walking and I'm talking and I'm asking, and I, but I'm not really actually yeah. at, listening to any of the actual answers. And I don't, you know, like in my speech, I said, you know, do you care or do you care, care? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and people need you to care, care. Yeah. And so the way that you do that is by carving that time out to actually listen, but it's not just about how are you doing, John? It's, you know, I always ask, how can I help? Or what do you need today? Yeah. Right. What is what 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 do you need from me today? And you will be surprised when yeah. you just change the way that you ask that particular question, people will respond in a different way. Because if I'm walking around and I say, Hey John, how are you doing? Yeah. John is gonna say what? 
Yeah. Doing great. Yeah. Right. But if I say, John, how can I help today? What What is it that you need from me today? John yeah. may say, oh my gosh, you know, the copier is empty and the phone is whatever. And mm-hmm. now there, there's an opportunity for me to give John tangible supports, right, you know, right. support that he can touch and feel and say, wow, you know, I was here, but then my leader helped me get here. Right. So it's, it's, you know, everybody has to accept ownership in this, right? So mm-hmm. John has to accept ownership, me as his leader and so on. But if we all do our part, then you will be surprised just what can happen in, in an environment like that, where you start to feel like a more cohesive team. Mm-hmm. Yes, you're the leader, but you're part of the team. I, I love how you're talking about, um, it is so true. One of the things that we learn when we try to to become better listeners is that to stop thinking about what your next question is going to be. Yes. That's a challenge I have as an interviewer, because <laughs> one of my jobs is to make sure yes, that I have a question, have a question for you. Yeah. <laughs> and, and which is why I have a good editor who, you know, will take out yeah. those pauses. It's happened a couple of <laughs> yeah. times. Now, yeah. Our listeners don't know this, but a couple of yeah. times I've had to just stop because I was listening yeah. intently. But and then forgot the question I was about yeah. to ask. But yeah. that's so essential. Is is you know forget about what your thoughts are. Listen to your your audience. Listen to your people, mm-hmm. uh, and they're going to help you so much uh, in in getting. And then you're going to build that trust up. Right for sure. And and get in there. Get your hands dirty. Roll up your sleeves yeah. and get in there and and do some of the work because you know yes it's about communication. Yes how yeah. how can I help you? What do you need? But what if John's an introvert? What if he's intimidated by leadership, yeah. right? And so, but if you get in there, get roll up your sleeves, get in there and do some of the tasks that John yeah. is doing, you might also identify like, well, wait, wait a minute. What, why are we doing this step four times? Yeah, John, can you explain? And now John is in a position of, it feels more powerful where he can say, well, let me educate you. We do it this way yeah. because X, Y, and Z. And now you have an opportunity for dialogue because you can say, well, John, yeah, but gosh, that's taking you 23 extra minutes. Yeah. I wonder if we did it over this way, if that would eliminate time. And then now you can have this brainstorming organic, yeah, you yeah. know, session with John that you would have never been able to have had you have not rolled up your sleeves and gotten in there and, and did some of the work. They're going to, they're going to respect you so much. When I was running uh, my second surgery center, uh, we would sometimes be open on Saturdays for urgent surgery. We did retina procedures and uh, I couldn't get a secretary. So as the administrator on call, I was the secretary. I'll tell you, first of all, I never want that job. Never want to do it again, but I, the the receptionist kind of respected me a little bit more after that because oh, yeah. I came back and I said, "Okay, this is not working," yeah. uh, because I couldn't do it, and, yeah. and we we reinvented it together. Yes, but, but we had a great connection at that point um, because uh, because I'd actually done what she had done instead of just you know, created that checklist. Exactly. I think that's so important. Another part of this is uh, you and I are both wearing suits right now. And I don't know how you are, but I don't wear suits anymore. I I mean, I I start out, (laughs) I start out in the hospitals. I'd be walking around the suits and you know what those nurses were saying? The suits are coming. And, you know, so I'm in scrub, you know, when I was uh, my second surgery center, I stopped wearing the suits. I started walking around because then they couldn't, first of all, sometimes they didn't see it coming by the way, but they, they, you know, you're part of that team there. 
there. They, they, they knew that you could jump in and you could discharge a patient or, to your point, um, uh, whatever's necessary. So get out of the suit. Um, in I know you're not in the ASC vernacular, but that means that as an administrator or director of nursing, sometimes you're going to have to suit up and go back That's right. uh, into the, the, the clean area, the, That's you know, right. the restricted area, uh, just to be able to see the people that are always hiding from you yep. um, or are never listened to because they're back there and they're separated from the leadership. Yep. Even, you know, in, well, in all roles that I've had as a leader, um, you know, especially when I was leading compliance. So I, you know, I was over compliance quality mm-hmm. or credentialing and credentialing is a beast. Yeah. Um, That's my next speech, by the way, in about an hour. <laughs> <laughs> but I always had a file. Yeah. So even as a director and even, you know, at all the things, I always had one file that I was always working on because well, it keeps your skill up, but it, yeah. it keeps you very, very close to the rhythm of things. And yeah. you can quickly I, see where things are, you know, bottlenecking and, and where the challenges are. And yeah. and that really allowed me to go back to my leaders and say, guys, this, this is ridiculous. Like, right. <laughs> how can we expect this when, you know, we're giving them this? Or yeah. so I always try to always have a file or always have a case that I was working on or something um, to just keep me as closely connected as I possibly could. But to your point, what happens there is that your team trusts you more because listen, we've all been there. We've had bosses that are like, Hey, do this, do that. And we're all looking at that person. Like you have no idea what you are saying (laughs) right now. Take me a month to do something you think I'm going to do in this afternoon. And, but that goes back to the development piece as well too, because I've worked with leaders where, you know, I call them homegrown leaders where they started off kind of like entry level and they work their way up into leadership got, you know, they kind of learned and they kind of was just winging it all the way. And now they're in executive leadership positions and their teams are suffering because that person might be amazing at process. Like they've got the numbers they've got, I mean, they've got that down, but then when it comes to leading teams and understanding just how, what they're wanting to do is impacting the people that actually have to do the work, it's a whole different story. And so I think that's also part of leadership development is Yes, you've been promoted. Yes, we're going to develop you. But that does not mean that you're no longer part of this team. You lead right. the team, but you are a player on this team just as much as everyone else. Absolutely. Well said. And it sounds like a good way to end. Ah, yes, <laughs> Therese, yes. thank you so much. This has been a pleasure thank interviewing you. John. You. Thanks so much for having me. In this segment, we provide an update on upcoming topics for the podcast, our upcoming virtual conferences, and upcoming speaking arrangements for John and his staff and other events in the ASC industry. So the Georgia Society of Ambulatory Surgery Centers and the South Carolina Ambulatory Surgery Center Association's joint semi-annual conference and trade show is August 17th and 18th, 2023 at the Hyatt Regency Savannah in Savannah, Georgia. The Illinois Ambulatory Surgery Center Association's 2023 annual meeting will be August 24th through the 25th at the Hyatt Lodge in Oak Brook, Illinois, and I'll be speaking at that conference. The California Ambulatory Surgery Association conference and exhibits is September 13th through the 15th at the Portola Hotel and Spa at Monterey Bay in Monterey, California. The Ohio Association of Ambulatory Surgery Center's annual education conference and exhibition is September 19th through the 20th at the Hilton Polaris in Columbus, Ohio, and we'll have a special episode including interviews with some of the speakers. 
The Idaho Ambulatory Surgery Center Association's annual conference is September 21st and 22nd at the Hilton Garden Inn, Boise, downtown. The New York State Association of Ambulatory Surgery Center's 2023 annual conference will be held October 4th through the 6th, 2023, at the Desmond Hotel in Albany, New York. And I'll be uh, speaking and moderating some of the sessions, and we're going to have a special episode, uh, including uh, quite a number of interviews, I believe. Mm -hmm. And Washington Ambulatory Surgery Center Association's annual education conference and trade show is November 9th and 10th, 2023, at the Tulalip Resort and Spa in Tulalip, Washington. John will be speaking there, and we hope to have a special episode with interviews. And don't forget about our upcoming boot camp next week, August 8th through the 11th. It's the August... Uh, cohort of the business office manager boot camp, uh, brand new boot camp, uh, a lot of uh, new content, obviously, and uh, there's still slots available. For more information, go to ASCPodcast.com. And don't forget about our recorded events. All are available on ASCPodcast.com. We have the Credentialing Conference, the Fall 2022 Finance and Accounting Conference, Conditions for Coverage Conference, the Medical Director Conference, On-Demand Director of Nursing and Administrators Boot Camps, and the Multi-State Conference. And just want to remind everybody to become a patron member of the podcast. It helps support our uh, programming here as well as uh, gives you a great opportunity to interface with the hosts of the program and, and certain surveyors who show up on a regular basis. Probably the highlight of the uh, patron program is the weekly drop-in sessions. They're currently on Fridays at about 3 p.m. and We'll be doing that throughout the summer. The patron program is also known as ASC Central, and it's an exclusive membership website that provides a one-stop ASC regulatory and accreditation compliance, operations, and financial management resource for those busy administrators, nurse managers, and business office managers. And the resources include access to some of our virtual conferences, links uh, to important information, policies and procedures, forms, drills, and periodic uh, you know, sessions, as we indicated, especially our weekly drop-in sessions. Membership helps defray the cost of producing the podcast, including the research staff, travel, cost to conferences, equipment costs, and production costs. For more information, you can visit us at ASCPodcast.com. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, and we hope you found this information informative and engaging. And if you did, we encourage you to share it with your friends and colleagues in the ASC industry, and don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. As we said, we're about 100, episode 195. Very soon, we're going to be celebrating our 200th episode over the past six years. And we would love to give a special shout-out to our amazing team who make this podcast possible. Our sound editor, Susan Cronkite, our executive producer, John Gailey, and our dedicated research team of Jenna Alvarez, Judy D'Ambrosio, Alex Borneman, Zach Calaritis, Amy Durbano, Lori Rodericks, Kathy Foti, Donna Macchio, Ann Geyer, Diana Powell, and Christina Norman. We couldn't do this without them. Our music is provided by Media Sushi and Mike Noah, and the ASC Podcast with John Gailey is hosted on Podbean and is available on all major podcast platforms. We look forward to bringing you more exciting discussions and insights in future episodes. Thanks for listening. This episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey is sponsored by Surgical Information Systems, Trivalence, and Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies. Surgical Information Systems provides cutting-edge information solutions for surgery providers. Trivalence offers a comprehensive next-generation ASC solution that optimizes payment and supply chain performance, enabling actionable insights. 
Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies is the nation's leading regulatory and accreditation compliance resource for ambulatory surgery centers. For more information about our sponsors, visit our website at ASCPodcast.com. This podcast is an educational and operational tool and is not intended to be a comprehensive resource for all rules, regulations, and standards that an ambulatory surgery center must meet. The advice provided should not be considered as, nor does it constitute, legal advice or opinion. When reviewing specific situations involving legal and regulatory issues, attorneys and other professionals should be consulted. This has been a production of Eden Group Development. All rights are reserved. If you are interested in advertising or sponsoring the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, please email us at info at ASCPodcast.com. We would love to hear your questions and comments. Please email us at comments at ASCPodcast.com.